it's Acts 24, and verses 22 through 27. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is our desire to say amen to that word. It is our desire to live it out. And we pray that as we continue to worship during this time, that you would take the feebleness of preaching, you would quicken the word to our hearts, Father, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up in the most holy faith, and Father, that we would be in a position to better advance your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I once uh, played a guy, a game of chess, who was very, very good at chess. And I was feeling pretty good about myself because I was doing fairly well after about uh, 10 moves. And play after play, my confidence was building to the point where I was thinking, yeah, I guess I'm a lot better at chess than I thought I was. But actually what this guy was doing is he was being polite and not creaming me right off the bat, uh, as he showed he could do in subsequent games. Uh, what he was doing is he was very cleverly weaving a very intricate trap into which I, of course, fell and uh, fell very hard. But I love chess because it is so creative. No two games are the same. Uh, you're always learning new strategies uh, throughout your life. I just think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful game. And a person who can see several moves ahead frequently can control that board. Well, God sees the whole chess game from beginning uh, to end, and he controls the whole chess game while at the same time allowing humans to have freedom to choose and to fight and to strategize and to think they're in control of the chess game. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm using the analogy of chess. It's not a perfect analogy because God controls far more than any chess uh, game master would be able to control on a, on a game. In fact, he upholds every cell of their body by the word of his power, right? But still, I think it's an appropriate analogy because it, it, it shows how there can be a control that God has over the actions of men, and yet there is still the free agency of man at play. And I think this is what is going on in the life of Felix in this chapter. He thinks he's got the whole game sewed up. He thinks he's got him in his pocket. Uh, he's going to gain further power in Israel and he's going to perhaps gain some uh, good amount of mo money from Paul. So let me quickly give some of the key chess moves that Felix is hoping to make. Well, move one is keeping Paul as a pawn. 
you'll remember that the commander in Jerusalem, Lysias, uh, he uh, forwarded Paul to uh, Felix for protection as well as for judgment. And he gives an accompanying letter. And in that letter, he indicates that this case is so straightforward. Paul is innocent. Here is the issues that are there. Felix could have decided the whole case and uh, 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 given uh, Paul his freedom. Verse 22 says that Felix knows all about Christianity. He knows it is not a threat. It says there, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings. Now, I'm sure this really ticked off the Jewish leaders because they wanted to bring Paul back into their own jurisdiction in Jerusalem. And uh, like an idiot, their lawyer Tertullus just has to strengthen his argument by talking about a crime against Rome that would give Felix jurisdiction. So Felix can keep him uh, there. They've traveled a long way, and they're probably hoping they can bring Paul back that day uh, with them to Jerusalem. But Felix is always looking for ways to consolidate his power with these uh, Jews to make more money. And he sees some dollar signs in his eyes here. He's not about to decide either for or against Paul because he thinks he can use Paul uh, quite effectively. Now, just think about it this way. Ananias obviously has shown his hand. He wants Paul real bad, which means Paul's a good bargaining chip. So this is a clever move on the part of Felix. Point B, in order to legally do that, he has to uh, have a good reason for not uh, uh, making the decision that day. Even if it's in Roman jurisdiction, he had to have a good reason for not making a decision. So verse 22 goes on to give Felix's reason. And said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision in your case. Now, we've already seen that in, in chapter 23, Lysias' letter gave all the information that he really needed in order to be able to decide uh, this case. But Felix doesn't want to offend the Jewish leaders, but he also wants to make sure that they are boxed in with court protocol. And so he gives uh, a reason for procrastination. He says he needs more information. Now, that by itself is going to stall a little bit, but he needs information from Lysias. That's going to stall the things for quite a long time because uh, there could be any number of reasons why Lysias can't come up uh, you know, to Caesarea. Uh, so Felix controls the board on his play number two, and the only thing the Jews can do is to retreat for a while. Chess move three is to get Paul to feel safe. See, if Paul feels that Felix likes him, he agrees with him, everything's going okay, but he hasn't released him. He's hoping, hint, 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 you're going to pay a bribe to me to get out of jail, uh, to get out of prison. It's illegal for Felix to outright say, hey, if you give me a bribe, I'll, um, I'll release you. But he's hoping that this is what uh, he will do. Uh, verse 23, he commanded the centurion to give uh, keep Paul to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any friends to provide for or visit him. This is so generous a provision, very uncharacteristic of Romans, so generous, there's obviously something going on here. Chess move four is given in verse 26. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul. Ah, so that's what's going on. He wants a bribe that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. You see, Paul apparently doesn't believe in bribery. This verse, by the way, is a good 
uh, verse that you can use uh, against Gary North's thesis on bribery, if you're into that whole debate there. But apparently he doesn't uh, believe in bribery. Felix is giving him every reason, over two years, friendly, talking with him, trying to get him to, uh, you know, make some kind of an offer, and he's absolutely not willing to do this. There are two things that will destroy a court system. The one is uh, the destruction of truth, whether that's in terms of uh, witnesses, uh, upholding of, uh, you know, your constitution, whatever that constitution is. There are any number of ways in which truth can be destroyed. And the other one is bribery. That will absolutely corrupt the court system. And there's any number of countries out there that have not had the success of America because they lack truth and they have a bunch of bribery that goes on in their court system. Paul is not willing to uh, play along. By the way, this is one of several indications that Paul came from a wealthy family, uh, that we've already looked at some of those in, in the book. Uh, he would not have fooled around for two years unless he thought that there was some juicy, tantalizing bribe that maybe he could get uh, at the end of this time. Chess move five is for Felix to sacrifice Paul to the Jews when it's convenient. And I'm convinced that uh, even if Paul had paid for this bribe, if it was convenient, if it served his purposes, he probably still would have turned Paul over to the uh, Jews in some way, or at least told him, hey, I'm releasing him, you can have Adam uh, after, after this point. Uh, verse 27, But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. And the key phrase there is, wanting to do the Jews a favor. Felix is holding Paul as kind of an insurance policy, and it looks like it's paid off here. Uh, we know from secular history that uh, this was the period of time right here uh, where he had slaughtered a huge crowd of Jews, including some Jewish leaders. Uh, he's created such devastation that uh, even the Romans say, if it hadn't been for Felix, there wouldn't have been a war. Uh, he has just irritated the Jews nonstop. So he is recalled to Rome to answer for his crimes. And so what's going on here is that he's telling these uh, Jewish authorities, hey, if you testify on my behalf that I'm not such a bad guy after all, I'll let you have Paul. But he doesn't give him Paul until they testify. So he's working with his brother-in-law, Agrippa, King Agrippa, and uh, with Festus. And so you can see that Felix is a pretty good strategist. It's um, uh, obvious that he's not a good governor. Uh, even the Romans said that he was unfit to govern. He was uh, cruel, selfish, arrogant, lustful. But he knows how to play a good chess game. Even when something unexpected like this recall happens, he's always got a card up his sleeve that he can play. Uh, Jonathan was mentioning to me on uh, Thursday night that we ought not to be surprised that the humanists have gained such power. They've been setting up their chessboard. He didn't even realize I was preaching on chess this time, but he said, yeah, they've been setting up their chessboard for over a hundred years. And, you know, they've had a long-term vision. Uh, they have just kept going even when they've been struck down. And uh, they were playing for keeps. The church, on the other hand, has retreated from culture. We have not had a long-term strategy. We've not been playing for creeps. Uh, keeps. Yeah, for creeps either. <laughs> but um, anyway, this is, uh, this is uh, something we should not be surprised at at all, what's happening uh, in America. So 
That's the first side of the chessboard. Now let's go back over that material again. Let's look at God, who was the master chess player, who's on the other side of that chessboard, and he's controlling the game at every stage of that game. Uh, first of all, we see that he was deliberately allowing Felix to have confidence. In verse 22, we see that God had been in Felix's life for many, many years. Uh, before Paul came on the scene. It says, But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings. Now here's the question. How did Felix, who was a Roman, have a more accurate knowledge of Christianity? Now there were a lot of other people who were clueless, and we've seen this all through the book. How did he have a more accurate knowledge of uh, Christianity? Uh, if his knowledge is accurate, that means that Paul, uh, Felix knows Paul is not guilty of any of the crimes that uh, Tertullus has accused him of. Uh, we know that uh, the reason he's um, not letting Paul free is for other purposes. It had nothing to do with guilt or innocence. But why is it that he has a more accurate knowledge? That's the mystery. Well, we're not told explicitly. It may be he just had good spies, uh, you know, who interrogated Christians. But I believe that God was preparing the way by putting Christians into the extended family of Felix. And let me share why I believe this and uh, why I believe that God had been setting up this chessboard uh, game for many years before Felix even came here. In verse 24, we find that the wife of Felix is Drusilla. Now, how Felix and Drusilla got together is a sordid tale all on its uh, own. He, she ran away from as a wife of another king and, and married, um, married Agrippa. But his marriage to Drusilla explains why he's so tight with Agrippa, why he uh, is close friends with this king. Felix is married to Agrippa's sister and grossly enough to his sister's, uh, to his wife's sister as well. In other words, um, uh, Herod had married his sister. Okay, and uh, she was the queen. And so um, uh, Felix's sister and Herod and Bernice, down in chapter 25, verse 13, they're all related together. It says, after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So Felix is the brother-in-law of Agrippa. Well, Agrippa's dad uh, has had his run-ins with um, Christianity back in chapter 12. He was the one that killed James. And, uh, his, and he was miraculously killed after that as well, which maybe had an impression upon Agrippa. But more to the point, there were uh, other relatives who were Christians. Uh, all the way back, uh, his uncle, uh, Herod Antipas, had beheaded John the Baptist, had interrogated Jesus. But let me just list out some of the Christians that were associated with them. Luke 8, verse 3, lists Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. It says... Uh, she was one of the followers of Jesus who uh, financed throughout the whole three-and-a-half-year ministry all of the 12 disciples and the Lord Jesus out of her finances. There were other women who did the, the same thing, apparently quite wealthy. Acts 13, verse 1 speaks of Menian, who was a, a prophet, a godly man within the church, who it says was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and the, the word there indicates that he was a foster brother of Menian. Okay, of, of, uh, of Herod and Manian were uh, foster brothers. 
Uh, the Herod referred to is Herod Antipas, the youngest son of Herod the Great. And so there were definitely Christians already way back then in Herod's families. And I think what God was doing is he was preparing the way for Felix to have enough information about Christianity where he would realize Paul's not a danger to me. That's all he needs to know. He doesn't really care about Christianity. All he needs to know at this point, Paul's not a danger to him. And uh, I find that uh, encouraging that God is setting Felix up to have a false confidence on this chessboard. And I think God uh, can do the same in every age. Uh, We ought not to be discouraged uh, at the uh, incredible power that the humanists are wielding uh, here in America. If you take your cues for when to be discouraged from how optimistic the humanists are, you're going to be constantly uh, discouraged. Just realize God is at work and setting up the chessboard even in our own day. Okay, the second move of God was to make sure that Lysias did not dismiss the case prematurely in chapter 23. Now, Lysias did have the authority to decide the case. He he didn't have to pass it on to uh, Felix. He could have just decided right then and there that he was innocent and let him go, but he did not, if you remember, for three reasons. Uh, First of all, the political situation in Jerusalem made it very dangerous for him to let Paul go because he doesn't want the Jewish leaders there uh, ticked off at him. Uh, He has to maintain peace. So the political situation, then Paul's safety. If Paul gets killed, he's in his custody. He's going to get in trouble with Rome. So he's kind of in a dilemma. And then the third reason why he had to uh, pass uh, Paul on is the mandate of keeping the peace there. So he's a hot potato. Lysias has two choices as to where he can pass him on. If he had passed him on to Umidius Quadratus, who was the legate of uh, Sirius Elysia, that was the logical choice. Paul would be a free man right now. God does not want Paul to be a free man. God's got purposes for Paul. So uh, he has him sent exactly where he needs to be in Caesarea, where the corrupt governor Felix resides. Now take a look at uh, point C third thing that God ensures is that there's going to be plenty of distance between Lysias and Felix. If they're right next door, it's going to be hard to pull this bluff. Uh, It's going to be very inconvenient for Lysias to travel up there because he has been mandated with keeping the peace in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hot spot. It was the place where there was constantly trouble. So he couldn't be gone very easily. So when he says, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case... He's probably not planning to ever bring Lysias down. And Lysias never did show up, as is clear from the next couple of chapters. And then point D, we can see God has been setting up the board to make sure everything works together for Paul's good. Uh, verse 23, So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit for him. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, Paul has access to anyone he needs. If he's got an elder that he wants to mentor, he can bring him in. He can disciple, he can teach, he can write letters, as he did. He wrote a number of letters here. Uh, He can engage in uh, overseeing the church long distance. There's all kinds of things that he can do, but these guys have to leave at night because this is a palace, and so God is forcing uh, him to have a retreat in this wonderful resort uh, town that God has sent him to. So every night he gets a good night's rest because all of his guests have to leave. Unless, of course, he stays up late and, and writes uh, his books. Okay, but if you read verses 24 through 25, you'll see that Paul is able to bring the gospel 
to the governor's staff, to the military, and all of the associates that are there. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Now this pawn has preached so powerfully that he actually makes his captor tremble, as the King James uh, words it. He trembled. As God moves the pawn into place, it proves to be more powerful than the castle. Now, not only is Felix trembling, but his gospel is being preached to his wife and to everybody else who is part of the retinue uh, that is there. Now, we're not told the outcome of these, but if you read the epistles that I believe were written during this period of time, wow, all kinds of things come to light. and You realize God has been powerfully moving behind the scenes to reach influential people who are coming to this resort town, influential people throughout the empire. Now, Paul's reasoning, it says here, on righteousness with Felix was powerful. It must have made Felix realize what a sinner he really was. Anyone who has studied Felix knows he was anything but righteous. He was a crooked man. And Felix suddenly realizes, hey, I'm not just dealing with a pawn here. I'm dealing with God himself. For the first time, he realizes who ultimately is in control of this board game. It's not men. It is, it is the Lord God. Now, we cannot change people's hearts. You might feel uh, really frustrated with the situations that are out there, and you ought not to be frustrated that you can't change somebody else's heart. You can't change anybody's heart, even your kids' heart. You are totally dependent upon the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you bring God's Word into your conversation, here's what Hebrews 4.12 says happens. The Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, that's what was happening with Felix. The power of God's Word was taking over. And this is one of the reasons I have harped and harped on how we have got to bring God's Word into uh, the, the, the public sphere. Conservatism will not rescue America from its political problems. It will not rescue America from its economic or its moral problems. It is the Word of God. Your opinion you know, that you share with other people is not powerful. Other people don't think it's powerful, and God doesn't think it's powerful. But the Word of God, you take that on your lips... You can make a governor tremble. Why? Because God backs it up. It's not you who's dangerous. It's God who is dangerous. We've got to bring the Word of God back into the public sphere. Now, Paul's reasoning on self-control must have been incredibly convicting. Felix had showed no self-control in eating, drinking, womanizing, covetousness, climbing the social ladder, all kinds of things where he wanted more, more, and more. And suddenly, this scrawny, peep, uh, this scrawny preacher is making him tremble. See, his um, trembling here over self-control is not because Paul is dangerous. <laughs> it's because God is dangerous. And Felix is momentarily again realizing who's in control of the game. Paul's reasoning on hell and judgment day may have been the last touch that made Felix realize, hey, man, I don't want to hear anything more about this. Uh, this is making me uncomfortable. Sinners don't like to hear 
about their every action being judged on the final judgment day. Every thought, every word, every motive, everything that we have done is going to be brought up on judgment day. They don't like to think about that. And here is the tragedy. These are the things that cause this governor to tremble. The church of Jesus Christ has abandoned the powerful tools of God and they've adopted humanistic tools in their attempts to evangelize. You don't hear the law of God being preached uh, across our nation. But what is it that Paul was preaching when he evangelized? He was preaching righteousness. We don't like the law of God, but it's the law of God that brings conviction. It brings people to a point where they recognize their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't uh, preach on uh, self-control because the church of Jesus Christ doesn't have self-control. Okay? The church of Jesus Christ doesn't bring uh, judgment of hellfire into their equation because many times, even if they happen to believe in hell, the evangelical church is embarrassed about this doctrine. And yet these are the three powerful tools that the church has used in its greatest periods of evangelistic outreach and success. The law of God, applying that law to the, the, the sinful lack of self-control that people have. In other words, we're, we cannot keep God's law. We don't have the self-control. And then finally, the, 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 the doctrine of hellfire. It's sad, but um, we have missed out on the three best old-fashioned tools. So anyway, here is Felix, the master chess player. He's on the run. In verse 25, he wants to postpone thinking about salvation for a while. Now, that's actually not a very clever move. Uh, you're just postponing the inevitable. Just because you don't want to think about the negative consequences of your actions does not mean those actions are not going to happen. And it's fascinating to see how human nature never changes. We've got politicians today who know that there's economic bad consequences of their actions. What they want to do is just want to postpone the inevitable. Uh, they want to put it off to the future. God is calling this nation to repent and I think what we are seeing is this nation, as Romans 1 words it, being given up unto a depraved mind. It just hurdles very, very quickly down into every kind of, uh, uh, of, um, uh, of sin. And Romans says that's not a nation out of control. That is a nation under judgment. God's not lacking control. God is judging our nation. And what's the reaction of people? Well, let's try to postpone thinking about economic judgment. Let's postpone thinking about the implications of our insane immigration policies or international policies or disastrous centralized politics. See, our America is acting just like Felix did. Let's just put it off. We will think about that later. Now, one thing that uh, was good that came out of these verses is that Felix's fears played into making Felix more reasonable with Paul than he needed to be. God was looking out for Paul. Now, point F. We looked at Felix's instincts to continue to play chess uh, uh, to his advantage in verse 26. He may have thought that he had the last laugh, uh, but his covetousness was precisely what was needed to keep Paul going Romeward. And even that last move of Felix in verse uh, 27, that's going to be frustrated. See, Felix wants Paul bound in Jerusalem because he's going to have to face a court um, situation in Rome and he wants to use Paul as a vehicle to get these uh, Jewish officials to testify on his behalf. And uh, it kind of backfires on him. Uh, Felix is still King Agrippa's brother-in-law. 
Uh, he owns a lot of what's going on in the country and he wants to use them, uh, Paul, with the power brokers. But God has the last word because what does Paul do in chapter 26 when Felix, uh, not Felix, when Agrippa and Festor are going to uh, hand him over to the Jews? Uh, they're playing along right with what Felix wanted. He appeals to, to, to Nero. Now, I don't think they even remotely anticipated this uh, chess move because who would want to appeal to Nero? I mean, that's almost like a certain death sentence. <laughs> you know, Nero's a crazy guy. And so I think that they were completely blindsided by this possible move. And yet this is the way God plays chess. Uh, he is controlling the board. And again, I want to apply that to our current situation in America. Uh, there have been over the, over the years some very clever moves that have been played by the Bilderbergers and the Trilateral Commission, those who profit from the Federal Reserve, uh, other world federalists. And over the last few weeks, I have been just standing in awe. I've been talking with our families. It's just amazing how well orchestrated and how quickly some of these things have been dovetailing together for them. Uh, they've... Um, been planning for years to put us kind of in a triple fork and doesn't matter which way we play we're going to lose pieces off of our chessboard that's just the way it is and we're licking our wounds uh they they've been masterfully advancing things but i have to keep reminding myself hey i am a pawn and you are pawn in god's hands and god is judging the church but he's also judging our nation and praise God, I believe these are redemptive judgments. A redemptive judgment is different than a regular judgment that just casts people away. A redemptive judgment is a judgment that's used to bring a nation back to himself. And I believe that's what we're going through right now. Bring the church back to himself and bring the nation uh, back to himself. Now, I want to end uh, with what our attitudes should be in the midst of all of this. I believe we need to have the confidence of Paul. We need to praise God that we are pawns uh, in His hands. Uh, when our purpose is up, and every one of us has to die at some point, when our purpose is up, we're not just shuffled off to the side as a useless piece. We enter into our reward in heaven. God rewards us. But until that happens, we're invincible. And until that happens, God is playing us and we are advancing the cause of Jesus Christ invincibly forward. <clears throat> Let's uh, look at the first uh, thing. This passage speaks of five things that could make Paul confident in God's chess moves. First, Paul knows he is absolutely convinced that God is for him, that God cares uh, about him. He's promised to do so. And we can see this in verse 23 again. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul, to let him have liberty, told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or minister provide for or visit him. And so what God is doing here is He's providing for Paul emotionally and socially and spiritually and economically. Uh, he's letting Paul know, hey, even though you're in prison, you're not rotting in prison. I'm caring for you uh, in prison. Uh, he's uh, caring for all of those needs and God cares for you in exactly the same way. Here's what Matthew 6, 8 says. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So you don't need to worry about your finances. Uh, you don't need to worry about any of the other needs that you have. Yes, pray concerning them. He commands us to do that. Be responsible. He commands us to do that. But He wants us to remember God cares for you. He's going to provide for you. Paul told the Philippians, 
And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, if he wrote that book of Philippians during this stay here, which I'm convinced that he did, this means his testimony comes out of a real-life situation. This is not just theory. Paul knows that God will provide for our needs. Peter said, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You can be sure of it. Do not allow all of the things that are happening in America to instill fear into your heart. Fear should have no place whatsoever in the Christian's life. We can have an absolute confidence when God is moving these chess pieces, He's doing it in a way that's going to provide for us, it's going to care for us. He values every chess piece. The second area of confidence was Paul's boldness in talking about his faith. Now, Paul was not always this way. And you can see that from the prison epistles that were written during this time. Uh, even if they weren't written during this time, if they were written later, same principles continue to apply. But I do believe they were written here. And what he's doing is he's saying, I want you guys to pray for me that I be bold. He was tempted to not talk the way he talks in verse 24. Would you be able to talk? If the governor and his wife came, you're in prison, and they have the ability to pardon you. Would you just be talking about um, your prison term and you know the politics? <laughs> or would you actually talk the way Paul did? He says, after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. See, Paul took every advantage that he could of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're ashamed of bringing the gospel into any conversation, we maybe are not yet ready for the kinds of things that America might dish out to us. Now, let's read once more. Paul's pointed application of the word in verse 25 because uh, from my perspective, you can talk in generalities and you can get away with it. But when you apply it in a way that hurts the way Paul does, that's a totally different question. See, he's applying it in the very areas where Felix is most sinful. He's willing to disagree with Felix. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come... Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Now, this is exactly the kind of thing that Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him about, that he would be bold. He said that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Some people think this was written during Rome. In Rome, he didn't have chains. Uh, in Rome, he was in his own rented house. He wasn't in prison. There's so many features that don't fit the Roman imprisonment idea, uh, but they definitely fit uh, here. Now, if Paul needs to pray for boldness, here's the point I was going to make. If Paul needs to pray for boldness, we do too. In our own strength, we're not going to do uh, what we need to do. So you should just evaluate. What kind of chess have you been playing recently? Have you been letting the humanists walk all over you? Have you been retreating in fear and saying, oh boy, we need to cover our steps? You know, in chess, sometimes the best defense is a very aggressive offense. And what Paul did here, I think, was such a great example to the other Jewish Christians who were incredibly fearful. And what Paul says that happened is the fear of the Jews in Israel was being replaced with boldness because of Paul's example. Let me read you... An example. Many of these guys had gone into defensive mode. Some of them were criticizing Paul for even talking with Gentiles. They were thinking of Paul as a compromiser. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1. 
I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, and literally there it's the praetorian guard, the only place in the New Testament speaks of a praetorian guard is in Caesarea in Acts 23, verse 35. And by the way, is uh, another reason why we believe Philippians was written during this time. Verse 14, most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In Israel, just prior to this, there were so many problems with the Jews fighting against the Christians and the Romans fighting against the Christians. These Christians were becoming paralyzed. They were very fearful. And Paul said uh, that his, his boldness was catching. Okay? They were recognizing if God is for us, who can be against us? And so they were striving to make a difference in their culture. Your enthusiastic boldness, it can make a difference. It can be, uh, it can be infectious in the lives of others. He goes on in verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and we saw examples of that in Jerusalem, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, all of that, plus a lot more in those books, fits much better into a Palestinian context than a Roman one. It was the Palestinian Christians who were nervous about Paul. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He was not satisfied with preaching conservatism. He wanted the lordship of Christ over every area of life, so he was preaching Christ. Verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he knows he's going to be delivered because God's already promised he'd be delivered in Acts chapter 23. So, pray that we'd have the same boldness. A fourth area that Paul is confident in that he doesn't have to help uh, God out by cheating. Okay, this is the whole bribery issue. In verse 26, he, uh, Felix wants a bribe, and that's the only way you could get justice in the ancient world is by purchasing justice. False, Paul really feels no need to manipulate the situ, situation whatsoever. He can only be a prisoner as long as it is God's will for him to be a prisoner. He cannot die one day earlier than it's God's purpose for him to die. And besides, he knows he's homeward bound, or Romeward bound, I should say. That's what his longing heart has been for a long time. But Acts 23, 11, Jesus had told him, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And so God's purposes were not thwarted. And let me assure you, in America, God's purposes are not being thwarted. That means there is no need to worry. Worry, Jesus said, has never added a hair to your head. <laughs> it's never added uh, an inch to your stature. Worry does not accomplish a thing. Be responsible, yes. Plan, yes. But don't worry. Now, I want to end by looking at the behind the scenes, which is a far more deadly chess game for your soul. And that's the chess game between Satan and you. Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. See, Felix ultimately was a pawn in Satan's chess game. He was under Satan's control. And if you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a pawn in Satan's hands. 
He can do whatever he wants with you. You really do not have the liberty that you think that you have. Pharisees thought they had liberty. They did not. Now, in the parable of the sower and the seed that was planted in the various fields, Jesus gives the various strategies that Satan uses with his pawn pieces. And let me read uh, that section and and, uh, give Christ's explanation. This is from Mark 4. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sowed. When they hear... Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Satan, as a chess player, knows the various ways in which he can pluck the word out of your heart and keep it from either saving you or, if you're a Christian already, from it transforming you. He plucks the word as soon as it is sown in your heart. He can do it through a stuttering preacher. People think, oh yeah, Phil's really having a bad day today. He can do it with a wandering mind, distractions about the past week and all of the troubles that are going on, bitterness against another. There's all kinds of ways in which he can make your mind distracted so that the word is plucked immediately out of your heart. Jesus describes the next strategy of Satan. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So he's saying the only way that you're going to be able to stand up against persecution and tribulation is if your roots are deep in Christ. Now, that takes time to develop roots in Christ, it takes prayer, it takes meditation. It takes um, uh, devotions, developing intimacy with Christ, and Satan's going to bring all kinds of fun distractions into your lives to keep you from being well-rooted uh, in, in the Lord. Okay, the third strategy Satan uses is given in the next verses. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Do you wear the cares of this world on your shoulders? And you're scared to death of what's going to be happening in America, and you're bearing all of the burden of America on your shoulders. Christ says that's a distraction that can keep you from being fruitful as a Christian. Or the deceitfulness of riches. Riches are deceitful if they promise you that you'll be secure in those riches. Uh, Riches are deceitful if they promise you that you'll find satisfaction there. He talks uh, in that that parable there uh, as well about the desire for more things. There are so many things that Satan can use. But then he contrasts that With the last group, he says, These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some one hundred. So according to that parable, there are some Christians who really are Christians in name, but not in deed. They're still pawns in Satan's hand. And so Satan is playing chess for their soul. Maybe playing chess for your soul. I've been in correspondence Uh, with an Anglican priest uh, by the name of Reverend Martin Dale and his previous uh, church in New Haven, England. Really ancient. goes all the way back to the Normans. On one of those old Norman pillars, there's a painting of Satan playing a chess game with a guy. And if you look at the chess uh, pieces, the way that they're set up, you know this guy is really in a tough predicament. And the look of glee on Satan's face uh, really is creepy. 
Well, the pastor sent me, I studied and studied and studied that thing, but he sent me the solution. There's one move and only one that that guy can make in order to keep out of checkmate uh, with Satan. And in the same way, there is one move and only one that can keep your soul out of hell. And that is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, both now and for all of eternity. Now, there's lots of ways in which Satan tries to get us to procrastinate that decision just like Felix did. I'll think about that another time. But when you're playing chess, there is a point of no return where once you've played the next move, it's toast, it's over. You've lost the game and Satan will forever have your soul. This is why it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So I don't know about you kids or others, if you have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you not to wait one minute more, but to pray with me this prayer as we pray together that you would be God's chess piece on the way to heaven and on his board. Let's pray. Father God, you are the sovereign Lord of history, and into your hands we commit our bodies and spirits. We do not want to be chess pieces belonging to Satan. We once again put our trust in Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you have sent to be our redemption. We do not trust in our own manipulations of the board. We do not trust in finances or relationships or other backup plans. We put our trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Please take our lives and use them for your glory. We cast our sins upon Jesus and in place receive his righteousness. And every day we want to trust our security in this exchange, which you have called justification. And we thank you for your promise that having given us your Son, you will also freely give us all things. Thank you that we do not need to worry about the future but instead can have the confidence of Joshua and Caleb to take on the challenges that confront us in America, to take every square inch of America back for King Jesus. We commit ourselves to being your foot soldiers. We commit ourselves to no longer being embarrassed about bringing Jesus into the public arena. We commit ourselves to no longer being embarrassed about your calls to righteousness or your demands for self-control or your guarantee of judgment to come. We are your chess pieces. Use us as you please. We want to use your solutions rather than humanistic ones, and we affirm our belief that if you are for us, who can be against us? Thank you for your provision, and thank you for your complete control of the chessboard. In Jesus' name, amen.